around 5.15, so get ready and prepare for that. Uh, we are two weeks into our, our uh, visitor month on the buses. We had 21 visitors on the bus today, on the buses today, and, and it felt like 2,100 visitors on our bus. Um, <laughs> I saw more chicken nuggets flying around my bus today. I feel sorry for those chickens. I feel sorry for them. But we had so many chicken nuggets and Frosties, and, but we had a good time, amen? And uh, we also had uh, four saved in junior church, thrilled about that. So that's why we do what we do. I had 14 saved last week. Uh, we're going we're gonna to reach them one at a time. Good to see you this evening. Please take your hymn book out and turn to hymn number 275. Hymn number 275. And let's sing out on It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows Well 
standing please these folks are going to be our next mom and daddy <laughs> and even got mama here tonight to <laughs> and it's going to be a baby girl Put you back in the nursery if you don't straighten up here now. <laughs> uh, she didn't know. She didn't know. Well, I don't think that's fair anyway that y'all, the new mamas and daddies, gets to get to know. We didn't get to know with any of our children. In fact, the. Uh, the daddies back then couldn't even go in the same room where they were where, where they have the baby out. Couldn't even go in the same room. They didn't treat us right. <laughs> All right, you calm down now, Mom. Here. <laughs> Emma, you should have stayed over the back row with her. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Remember, remember, continue to pray for the Cody family, the loss of uh, Pat, the really his wife, and also Mark's mom. And um, and pray for those sick. Several folks, uh, Darren Daniels out sick today, and and uh, then there's several folks that are gone. I know Thomas this morning said he and uh, Christina, Christina, <laughs> uh, they were going on vacation and then um, Jeremy and Tabitha and their family gone taking a few days off so remember them as they travel let's bow our heads now and look to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering on these requests tonight Brother Smith would you lead us in prayer Amen.
is my father's world and to my listening ears all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres this is my father's world I rest me This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world, he shines in all that's fair, in the rustling grass. Speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. And earth and heaven be one. I'd open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32. I used to tell when you had the scripture because I could hear the pages turning, but now that you use your phone, your cell phone for your Bible, I can't hear it. I think we're going to have to outlaw cell phones altogether in church. <laughs> All right, Deuteronomy 32, and let's begin reading in verse 7. Remember the days of old. Now this is what is referred to as the Song of Moses. And in, uh, in literature, of course, we know that the, the author of the Bible, no matter where it is, Deuteronomy, no matter where it is, that the author is the Holy Spirit. But um, 
in the, uh, in the literary world, they consider this one of the greatest pieces of literature that's ever been written. And we understand why, but they contributed to Moses. So remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee, thy elders, and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spread abroad her wing, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. To the man who, who has an, an eye to see, all the world around us speaks of God and the merciful, providential care of the Almighty. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The lilies of the field, the birds that fly through the air all speak to a, to a sensitive, discerning soul, anyhow. They all speak of the care and the love of God. And out of, out of this world of the, of the naturalist, this keen, discerning, falcon-eyed Moses, he took an incident from an eagle. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord did lead him. When I was pastoring in Tennessee, we lived right at the foothills of the uh, Great Smoky Mountains. In fact, the city of Maryville was called the Foothills City. And, uh, and one time we, we went up, I took the kids, Janice and I took the kids, went up to Clingman's Dome. That's the highest part, the highest uh, peak of the Great Smoky Mountains. I don't know if you are uh, aware of this or not. We, you know, I, I became familiar with the, with the mountains while we were there, uh, things that I did not know, and I mean, I don't know that that's, if it has helped my uh, quality of life to know all these things, but, but it was kind of interesting. The, the, smoke, the Great Smoky Mountains makes up actually 324 named mountains, and it's a part uh, you run into to the to the uh, east and north. You run into the Blue Ridge Mountains, which which is a part of that same uh, span of mountains. And to the west, then it's the uh, Appalachian Mountains. But all of that is that one big conglomerate of mountains. It's just that in different areas got there's different names. But the Great Smoky Mountains, the highest spot, the highest. Uh, peak is Clingman's Domes, 6,644 feet. Now, I know that's not a lot when you compare it to 
some of the mountains out in Alaska or in Washington or Oregon, places like that. Janice and I were in Oregon one time, and she was driving, and we, we passed uh, a, a sign on the side of the road. It's just a little two-lane road. I don't know how in the world we got on that uh, road in the mountains there, but but the sign there said that it was over 10,000 feet. And I told her, I said, you better find a place to pull over and let me drive because <laughs> there were no rails. I mean, just a little narrow road, no rails or anything. And I'm looking out the side here very carefully. And uh, I didn't want to overbalance the car, you know, but uh, you couldn't see nothing. You couldn't see nothing down there, but just space. And I thought, boy, what a place to run off the road. But... But um, while we were there one day at, on Klingman's Dome with the kids, and there was other people there too, uh, and there was a guy there that had a, a uh, telescope, and he was, he was looking at things, and, and suddenly he, he uh, exclaimed, look, 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 there's an eagle, there's an eagle, an eagle's nest. And so everybody began to look. <clears throat> um, I, didn't, I didn't ever look through his telescope, but I... I, or his binoculars, but um, he he explained what what he was looking at, and and he uh, he said he he saw an, an eagle's nest. You know, an eagle because they're such a big bird, uh, their nest is going to be big. That's pretty good size. You could even with the naked eye you could see it once he pointed out, and there was an eagle uh, sitting there, mother eagle, and he said he could see the eaglets, you know, with their mouths open the beaks, and, uh, and uh, obviously the mother eagle was feeding them. And uh, there was at one point she flew off and came back, I guess she went to get some more food and brought it back, and, and she was watching over, watching over those eaglets. And in the nest, those little, uh, little eaglets, they were, you know, you, you could just almost sense just, Hearing him describing all that, the uh, the the the, nerd, the the care that this mother this mother eagle had over over those eaglets, and, and that's the way that that's the way the eagles are. They they fly highest. They uh, they build their nests in the crags of the mountains and lay their eggs and hatch their young and and in brooding care she feeds them and watches over them. She keeps them from harm and danger, the mother eagle and her fledglings. But the day, the day must come when the little ones will be taught to fly. I mean, eagles are not, they're not made to stay in the nest. And so um, the, because that's, that's what eagles do, they have, to, they have to come to that place to where they're, they're taught to fly, to soar, into the sun. And the way the mother eagle teaches her young to fly is very instructive. It says, as an eagle stirreth up her nest. So the first thing she does when she realizes it's time now that little eaglets begin to fly, it's time they get out of the nest, it says here that she stirreth, she stirreth up her nest. She makes it uncomfortable. And she begins to pull that nest to pieces. 
pieces of sprigs and leaves and uh, whatever that Mother Eva could find whenever she built that nest. Now she begins to take it all apart. And she just, she leaves nothing but, but uh, uh, little branches, you know, small, so that the, the eagles, these little eaglets, they don't, you know, they're, they're not comfortable now and they don't feel secure because now they don't have a whole lot underneath them. She, she's, getting them she's getting them ready uh, to get, get out of that nest. And so she's making, she's making it very uncomfortable. Now hang with me, uh, I'm going to make a spiritual application with this, but, but uh, just, just kind of picture, picture this. And then the Bible says, she fluttereth over her young, spreading abroad her wings. She's there uh, by, by, by force of example, by the power of illustration. She, she now will teach those little eaglets to fly. She fluttereth over her young, spreading abroad her wings. And then she taketh them and beareth them on her wings. One author that I was reading about this said that I have seen this with my own eyes, and he describes it. He describes a great eagle that teaching her young to fly. And she, when one of them would begin to fall, she would dart like an arrow underneath and catch them on her, on her wings. That mother eagle, in teaching her young ones to fly, she... She tears apart the nest. She, she then, by her example, she flutters over them with her wings. She's seeking to encourage them to fly. And then finally, when the young ones leave the broken nest and with their untried wings, they seek to support themselves in the air, but maybe some of them will begin to fall. And Mother Eagle, quick like an arrow, she darts underneath and saves them from a uh, very hurtful, maybe, maybe even a death fall. And then Moses applies this. He said, as an eagle, so the Lord. As an eagle, so the Lord. Now he means, of course, mostly, primarily, uh, what God has done for Israel. They, they were in a cozy nest there under Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph and what had happened in Egypt, and he had become the prime minister, and and he was in charge of the of the food stuff and all. And and um, you remember how his family had brought his family over, and uh, and Pharaoh, the Pharaoh then had allowed them to have the the best part of Egypt, the land of Goshen, and so they were they had settled in there, and and they were they were very comfortable. They were living there in the best of the land with the favor of Pharaoh, with a, with a champion at court that had no equal in Joseph. Israel was prospering and multiplying, living off the fat of the land. But what, what about the promises that God had made to them? What about what, about what, what they were in, you know, intended uh, to do? What land, the land that, that they were to Occupy. What about all that? What about the promises? And, and what of their destiny? Has God, God called people, the people that God had chosen, uh, to be a witness to 
to the world, the rest of the world, of the true and living God. What about what about this? And and what about what of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the fathers buried in Canaan's faraway land? So the Lord God began to tear up the nest. He began to put it apart. And the Lord raised up a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And the Lord led the people into great disciplinary affliction. They fell into servitude and into slavery. People would, would um, now in a, in a place that they, they were not used to, uh, in a very uncomfortable situation. And their misery and their richness, they, and so they cried out unto God in, in Exodus 37. But Moses saying here in, in his song that the afflictions that came to Israel in Egypt and the sorrows of those days and the sobs and the tears by which they cried unto God did not mean that God had forsaken them or that the Lord had forgotten them or that, or that God was merciless and cruel toward them. But Moses is, is saying in this illustration that as an eagle tears up the nest and, and shoves off those eaglets off of those precipitous crags, shoves her younger ones off so that they will learn to fly. It's not that the mother eagle has forsaken them, not that she doesn't love them, not that she has come to despise her little ones, but the discipline of life is just beginning to teach those fledglings how to soar into the blue of the heavens as an eagle. So the Lord. Moses says the heartaches and the tribulations and the fire trials that came upon Israel was of the Lord, that God might bring them to their true destiny as an eagle so the Lord. And that's the scriptural interpretation of the, of the disciplines, of the sorrows, of the trials of life, not only of Israel, but all through the revelation of the word. Just pick out, pick out some of those situations out of, out of the Bible. The church of Jerusalem with James, the Lord's brother, as its pastor, with Simon Peter and John and, and the wonderful God sent, God ordained apostles. The church at Jerusalem was flourishing. On one day, 3,000 were saved. And then a couple chapters later, 5,000 men. And so the church is growing thousands and thousands, not just, not just a handful, but thousands. God was adding to it on every hand. You find it in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 5 and chapter 6. And even the Bible says, even priests, that's these Jewish priests, even some of them were becoming obedient to the faith. And so it was a uh, growing, gloriously growing uh, congregation. And then in the midst of their growth and of their glory, in the midst of all of that, there rose a terrible persecution. 
and the church was wasted and it was torn asunder and like an eagle's nest it was put in pieces and for what purpose? Because God had forgotten his people? No. God, because God didn't love his children anymore? No. Look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad because of this persecution, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. See, they had become too comfortable. I mean, they, everything was good and, and they were flourishing. But, but they, they had become comfortable. They were satisfied with what, with what they were doing, what was going on. So God had to bring persecution in order they might scatter, they might get out of Jerusalem. Because he had told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not just Jerusalem, but into all the world, into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, in order for them to be scattered, in order for them to, to get out of Jerusalem, God had to allow persecution. That mean God, God didn't love his people? God didn't love his children anymore? No. It's because God wanted them to be obedient. God wanted them to obey the mandate that he had given them to, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So God had to stir up their nest. God had to pull out some of the comfort had to make it an uncomfortable place for them, persecution. The evangelist Philip, scattered abroad, went down to Samaria. And you read there then about the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and, and others then went to other sections and other nations and, the, and other countries. And finally in the 11th chapter, the 19th verse, it says, and now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word. And some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, when they came to Antioch, spake unto the heathen idolatrous Greeks, the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. It looked as if God had forsaken his people. God didn't love them anymore, leaving, uh, but tearing apart and tearing apart their, uh, that eagle's nest, pulling apart that, that cozy home. But out of that persecution, that fiery trial, they were spread abroad, preaching the word of God. So the Lord deals with his people. Here's a man, affluent, with his friends, with his family, with his beautiful home, every wish gratified, all of it. And then suddenly there comes into his life a great sorrow, a heavy calamity. Does that mean that God doesn't love him? Does that mean that God's turned his back on him? Could it mean that? It brings up, once again, that eternal age-old question of the purpose of human sorrow and affliction. Uh, why, why does God, why? <clears throat> Job asked that question, didn't he? Why? 
Why is this happening to me? What about, you know, why? And even the Lord Jesus on the cross, didn't he? He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So why? Well, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Hebrews, and I want to try to answer that question for you. The book of Hebrews, why the tearing up of the eagle's nest? Why, why the disciplines of, of life? Why the trials and the sorrows? And I want to point out four answers, if time allows tonight, that are, that are so uh, patently written here on the pages of the book uh, of Hebrews. One of the purposes of trial, of trouble, of sorrow, tribulation, one of the purposes to make us grow into maturity. That's the first point, to make us grow into maturity. Somehow without trouble, without trial, somehow the soul never matures. You're still an infant. You're still an adolescent. You never grow up unless you go through the disciplines of sorrow and trial. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For it became him to make the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, the word perfect there doesn't mean in the Bible freedom from sin. Our Lord never sinned. He was never imperfect. But the word perfect in the Bible is used like you'd use the word uh, maturity, grown up, adulthood. It became, it became God to make the captain of our salvation what he was supposed to be for us, perfect, mature, reaching that destiny, that goal. It became God to make the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering, make him, make him the savior that he ought to be, the mediator that he ought to be, the intercessor that he ought to be, the high priest that he ought to be. It became God to make Jesus that for us through suffering. Now, I'd be the first to admit to you I don't understand all about that. But I believe it. I believe it just the way it's written. I believe it and I, and I, preach, I preach it to you the way that it's written. I don't expect that you're going to understand all of that. But, but it's there, isn't it? And it's plain. It's very, very clear. You don't have to get some theologian here to interpret it for you. The Bible speaks of the fact that the common people heard him gladly. Common people. The, in fact, the Bible was written so that common people could understand it. But uh, it became God to make Jesus that for us through suffering. And in the fifth chapter, the eighth verse, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, we don't grow up. We're still children. We're still adolescent until we have gone through the trials of life. The disciplines of this pilgrimage are given us of God that we might mature unto the Lord. Without those disciplines and those trials, we're weak and anemic. 
I've told Brother Tony several times over the years, I believe that uh, the trials that I, I had when I pastored in Tennessee, and there were many, I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking, uh, you know, uh, we had a great church. But, uh, but I believe the Lord allowed me to go through trials there to get me ready to when when came here when I came here that that when those trials came that that I would have more wisdom about how to deal with it and how myself in myself how I'd be able to handle these things that would come and I've told you several times uh, over the years um, I have I have enjoyed much more pastoring you than I did in in Tennessee, the people in Tennessee, although I loved them, they were great people. We had a great church, a large church. <clears throat> but, but, the, but I believe that the trials, the trials that I endured there made me mature enough that when trials come now, I, I, can, I can handle them better. I can deal with them better. I remember back, you know, when I was when I was a boy and I was a kid. You know, I've told you before we were very poor. Uh, we didn't have that was back before television, computers hadn't even been heard of, cell phones, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, we didn't even we didn't even have a radio. We didn't even have electricity. And uh, so we had, uh, you know, we we couldn't. We couldn't uh, depend on artificial entertainment. We had to make our own. And so I read. I read a lot. And, and I, enjoyed, I enjoyed reading. But there wasn't anything else to do. So uh, maybe that's why I enjoyed it so much. But, uh, I, you know, there was a, a certain period in my life when I was a kid, as a boy, I read everything that Zane Gray wrote. I, you know, all the volumes that Zane wrote, you know, the Western books. I read all those. I read everything that, that Arabelle Wright wrote. Listen, I mean, I would, I would check a book out of the library. You could only get one at a time back then. I'd check a book out of the library, take it home, read it that night, take it back the next day, check out another one. And, and, and that was read. That was, that was my entertainment. What these, what these kids do today and watching those Western pictures on TV, I did with a book in my hand. Now, one of those novels, I can't remember which one it was, but one of them was, was like this. Back, back in the East somewhere, there was a rich, affluent family. And in that home was a little weak, anemic boy. He was asthmatic and his mother doted over him and cared for him and spoiled him and the little fellow was never able to get outside in the sunshine because the mother was afraid to get sunburned he was never able to go swimming because he might drown he was never able to go hunting he might get shot the little boy was never able to mix with other companions he might get hurt and the little boy was inside he was inside of that rich family, cared, cared for and doted over and brooded over by his mother. 
And so consequently, the little fellow got worse and worse and, and kept going down. And in his asthma, uh, it came to the point that the doctor said he's not going to live. He's not going to live. So somehow in the course of the story, there was an uncle out in Arizona that had a big ranch and the little boy was going to die anyway. So in the story, uh, somehow that uncle got a hold of that little boy. He took him back with him out of that fair and sumptuous home and away from that doting and brooding mother. And he took the little fellow out there to that big ranch, put him on a horse and let him learn to ride and, and to go out in the, in the woods and all that. Might as well let him go ahead and stuff like that. He's going to die anyway. Well, out there under the burning sun and the blistering wind, out there on a horse that stumbled and fell and sometimes went fast and furious and out there with the, with the cowpokes uh, where he had to take care of his own, he grew into a strong, stalwart, red-blooded cowboy. And a girl fell in love with him. And they got married and lived happily ever after. That's the way all those books ended. That's the way they, they went. They were happily ever after. And that's, you know, that's how the thing goes. Now, that's exactly what God does with us, folks. Sheltered in a cozy nest with every indulgent wish gratified, we get anemic, we get sick, we become bloodless. So God pulls apart our nest. And these disciplines of life are going to make us strong unto the Lord. Listen, though he were a son, yet learned he by the things which he suffered, it became God to make the author of our salvation what he was destined to be through suffering. You find that here, there in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. So that's one reason why God lets us fall into trial, the disciplines of life. Help us to grow up and unto God. There's a second thing here in the book of Hebrews that why God stirs up the eagle's nest. In, in two of the most glorious passages in the Bible, it says here that our Lord went through these trials in order that he might be a compassionate and sympathetic high priest. I don't have the time to go into detail about you know, what the high priest was to the Jewish people. Uh, but you probably know. You've read, you've read the Old Testament. You've read about the, giving the law, the tabernacle. You've read about uh, the work, work of, the, uh, of the priest and, and the high priest himself. Listen to what the, what the book of Hebrews has to say about this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. He took not on him himself the nature of angels, he took on himself the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, it's talking about the Lord Jesus now, that he might be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For in that he himself has suffered being tried, he's able to succor them that are tried. And then again in the fourth chapter, verse 15, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeding of our infirmities, 
but was in all points tried like as we are, though he without sin. Therefore, therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that ye may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One who's gone through the disciplines of life, the trials of life, and the sorrows of life becomes sympathetic and compassionate. You know, you've heard, I'm sure you've heard uh, preachers uh, talk about the fact that sometimes God lets you go through something so that you can, by going through that, having that experience, you'll know how to comfort someone else that's going through that. This is what, this is what we're talking about. Listen, I know why you cry, because I've cried too. I, I know how your heart is broken. My, my heart has been broken too. I know, I know that you can become uh, disappointed about things and, and in people uh, because I have had multiple disappointments. I know I can sympathize with you. I can enter into your trial. I can enter into your disappointment because I've experienced it myself. That's a part of why God leads us into these trials because of the compassionate sympathetic spirit that he would have in, in our souls that we might be able to be sympathetic with others. Now, my time is running out, and I know you're in a hurry to get down to McDonald's for your evening meal. So I want to just briefly name the two others. I said there's going to be four. So I got two more, and I'll, I'll be as brief as I can. But in the 12th chapter in the 10th verse, speaking of the disciplines of the Lord, it says that God lets us fall into these trials that we might be partakers of his holiness. That's in Hebrews 12, verse 10. There's a purpose. There's a purpose in the fire, in the sorrow, the trial, the discipline. I can easily think of a piece of gold in a crucible. That piece of gold uh, crying out, why do you treat me like this? And, and the answer would be in order to purify thy gold. So God, with us, when we fall into the crucible and the fire, the purpose is to burn out the dross. Like that wonderful old song, How Firm a Foundation. And by the way, don't you appreciate the old songs and the songbooks that that really teach doctrine. I mean, they and they really they really teach you something. It's not that like these little ditties, you know, nowadays that they, you know, a lot of churches go in up on the screen. They've got these things. Got this. They don't have a song here. They got a little dot. That little dot tells you which word you know to sing. I'd rather have a songbook. I'd rather have a song leader. I'd rather have a choir. I'd rather have music. I'd rather, you know, people people sing. Uh, you know, when when you're happy, you're going to sing, aren't you? Uh, I, I, you know, if there's anybody in, in the world that should be happy, it'll be God's people. We have something to be happy about. The devil's crowd don't have anything to be happy about. But you see, you got, got me on track. I was going to talk about how firm a foundation. 
Listen to what it says, one of the verses. When, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to remove and thy gold to refine. The purpose of sorrow. And then there's one other here. In the next verse it says, he, It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. God, in order to make us fruitful, is like a husbandman with a pruning knife. And he, and he prunes the vine that it might bear fruit. So God does with us. I remember one time hearing Dr. Lee Robinson told about <clears throat> the death of his little girl, Joy. And he said, I thought I was going to die. He said, that, that just broke my heart. He said, it, it, he said I, uh, I really thought I was going to die. And I thought, you know, I thought, why, God, why? Why, my, my little girl, my precious little girl? But through that, through that, Count Joy was born. Thousands and thousands of children and young people have been there to Count Joy, uh, to be taught the Word of God and to be given the gospel they might be saved. Would not have happened if it had not been for the death of that little girl, Joy. Uh, he said that through that, through that, he said, uh, he said, I, I, was, I was broken. I was broken, but he said, I, uh, I knew that I, I must go on. I knew that God's work, that God had given me a work to do, a job to do, a ministry. And he said, I knew that I had to go on. And, and so Camp Joy. And then Tennessee Temple, great college there that hundreds and hundreds of students uh, went through and preachers and missionaries all over the world out of Tennessee Temple. Sadly, it no longer exists. But the great Highland Park Baptist Church with thousands and thousands of people gathering there uh, every week. And the, the books, the books that he himself Road and faculty members and 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 all and multiple missionaries. I remember I was so impressed the first time I was there at a service, and and they were talking about their and the amount that they gave of their total offerings, the amount that they gave to missionaries to missions, and it was an incredible, incredible amount, incredible percentage of their total total offerings. But all that came out of heartache, came out of heartbreak, came out of trial, came out of great suffering. Let me read you here just before I close. The 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy closes. The Lord spake unto Moses that selfsame day, saying, Get thee up into the mountain, Abram, unto Mount Nebo, in the land of Moab. Behold, the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel for possession, and die in the mount whither thou goest up, and be gathered unto thy people. Yet shalt thou see the land before thee, 
but thou shalt not go thither. I uh, came across a poem, and it's too long for me to read it, read it to you. And I know you probably won't stay to hear the whole thing, so I'm going to kind of skip part of it. But this, this is one of the most touching things I think I've, I've ever read. Listen, um, let, me, let me find the beginning of that. On a, lo on a lonely grave in Moab's land, O dark Beth Peor's hill, speak to these curious hearts of ours and teach them to be still. God hath his mysteries of grace, ways that he cannot tell. He hides them deep like the hidden sleep of him he loved so well. That's, the, uh, that's a, a poem about the burial of Moses. Um, this this thing's three pages long, so I knew you wouldn't you wouldn't sit still listen listen to all of it. But uh, sometimes maybe on your computer you can you can just type in the barrel of Moses and it'll come up and then you can uh, copy it and and uh, read the rest of it yourself. As an eagle. So the Lord. Would you stand please with your heads bowed? Now, Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the invitation time. I pray that, first of all, if there's someone here tonight without Christ, I pray that they'll come and be saved before they leave this service. Help them to come and let us show them from your word how they can be saved and how they can know that when they die, they'll go to heaven. And Lord, if they're Christians tonight, maybe some that are going, going through some heavy trial that maybe nobody else knows about, they need, they need you. They need your help. They need your guidance. Lord, they need, they need your care. So I pray you'll help them tonight to whatever that trial, whatever the burden is, they'll just turn that over to you. If there are those that need to come to the altar, I pray they'll come tonight. Lord, if there are Christians that need to rededicate their life, may they come. Just ask that, that uh, your will be done in each heart and each life tonight. May each of us do what you'd have us to do. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.